Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby! Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. This is On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink, mom of four boys. And I'm Janet Allison, teacher of many more. Thanks for joining us as we share real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. We all want to raise good men. I mean, the name of this podcast is literally on boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. But as they say, the devil is in the details. It's one thing to want to raise good men. It's another thing to figure out what that means on a daily basis. Exactly how do we raise good guys? As our longtime listeners know, that is a question that I wrestle with each and every day and it's one that Janet and I grapple with professionally as well. For 20 years, we have been trying to figure this out and trying to help others figure this out. Today's guest, a father of three boys, has also devoted a lot of time and effort to this question. With us today is Aaron Guvea, is the author of Raising Boys to Be Good Men, a parenting guide to bringing up happy sons in a world filled with toxic masculinity. He is also the dad of Will, Sam and Tommy, ages 12, 7, and 4. He's in the thick of it, y'all. Welcome, Aaron. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I feel like we should take a moment just to celebrate the fact that we're sitting here having an adult conversation without children present at the moment. Yeah, well, knock on wood. I mean, all three are home right now. We have construction ripping up our street outside. It's summer and it's raining, so this could be, this could be disastrous. Brilliant. <laughs> but... This is the reality of raising boys right now. This is, we, these are the conditions. We never have ideal conditions for raising these, these male children of ours. Yep, and especially with, uh, with COVID still going on, it's the, the icing on the cake. So yeah, we're, yeah. we're at it right now, all of us. We deserve some adult beverages, I think. <laughs> it's 10 a.m., but I'm right with you there. <laughs> well, coffee is the adult beverage of the hour. Oh, yeah. Okay, for now. that's what we meant. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Aaron. Toxic masculinity is a term that creates a lot of controversy, a lot of discussion, and it is there on the cover of your book. So let's tackle that one right away. Let's talk about what you mean by that term and why you decided to use it in the title. Yeah, and I'll be very honest, and this is even in the book, you know, when I when I first heard the term toxic masculinity, I, you know, I did what I think most men or you know, even most people probably do. I rolled my eyes 
and said, oh my God, stop trying to make, you know, stop trying to vilify masculinity. It's, it, but you know, the, the more I listen to people and because I make it a point to surround myself with people much smarter than, than I am, it took a while. It took years really to understand what it is. And, and it's a million little things. It's, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. Um, you know, toxic masculinity is, you know, when I have, when I'm not thinking about it and, you know, uh, I'm playing catch with my sons and they, you know, have a bad throw. I'm like, Oh, come on, Susan, you know, let's go. And it was, it, it's stuff, it's, it's stuff like that. And it, you know, it's saying throw like a girl and, you know, it's just a million of those things that you don't really bat an eyelash about one at a time because they're, they're so ingrained in everything we do. But if you stop and, and step back and take a look at it, you really, you can't stop seeing it. It's not wearing a mask. It, you know, it's guys not wearing a mask because, you know, why? Oh, they feel unmanly or that you know they don't feel that they feel fearful because they feel effeminate because of it and you know you're 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 gay if you don't wear a mask i mean it's, it's ridiculous and when people ask for you know real-time examples of how toxic masculinity is harmful i don't think there's any more real <laughs> um example that i can give that's happening right now than that i mean it's it's just it's silly and it's so unnecessary and we need to get past it how do other guys react to that title because as you yourself share and one of the things that i love about this book and i think our listeners will as well is that you are very honest mm -hmm. and you say uh yeah so pretty much i did all of this this is how i thought yeah but it took a while to get to where you are now making that breakthrough like that's difficult yeah and it's never just one breakthrough right and i'd be very honest i had a hard time writing this book because it turned into a lot of introspection mm -hmm. and a lot of self-examination and it wasn't always pretty I, you know you realize when you spot the problems and then think back on how you might have contributed to them i mean this book is a laundry list of things that i did that you know weren't great and and contributed to a problem that at times i thought i was fighting against and and so that's exactly how most men see it when when you talk about toxic masculinity they roll their eyes and, you know, it's, it's the pussification of America. That's something you hear a lot. And it's PC nonsense. If you can t keep talking to them about it and keep finding examples of it, you know, some of them you can turn around on this to, to at least keep an open mind and realize that it's not demonizing all masculine traits. You know, it's just the bad parts, the stuff that hurts us. And, you know, that message does get through very slowly sometimes. It, it certainly uh, was a slow process for me, but that's really what the book is about. I mean, it's, it's not for hardliners. You know, there are some people who are too far gone and that stinks to say, but it's true. Um, this is for people who will listen to reason and who will keep an open mind, who can see themselves in the mistakes that I describe with myself and hopefully, you know, find some change that way. I love that you are talking about this and Jen and I have talked often about how dads like I feel like this generation of dads are the the men that can change this generational pattern because I'm going to guess that your parents Jen's parents my parents had so much of that embedded and they gave it to us in as as children and to take a stand now and to speak to these things so clearly and and straightforward because as you said so much of it is just embedded 
Mm-hmm. Um, we had a podcast guest on who shall remain nameless a while ago, who actually did say that he had told his boys not to cry. And I, we haven't actually talked about this, Jen, but um, you know, that was like, oh my gosh, here we are again. It's, it's so prevalent. And so to really call out the examples is helping the, helping the dads go, yeah, ooh, okay. And as you said, it's the ones who are open-minded, who are feeling a little bit like, ooh, this isn't quite comfortable. Mm-hmm. But it's also like not even recognizing, mm-hmm. oh, ooh, yeah, that doesn't exactly come across how I, how I really intended it to. So just calling it out. Good for you. I I just think that that's really important and without judgment because we're all just, we're all figuring it out. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned this generation of dads because that's, that's actually a pretty important part of the book too. Um, You know, I talk a lot about gender roles and, you know, dads and moms because this book is not just for parents of boys and it's not just for men. This is all interconnected. It all overlaps. And when you have involved dads, so, you know, one of the chapters is about specifically stay at home dads, which I've never done, probably never could do. I don't have the, I don't have the right tolerance or mindset for it, but you know, I have a ton of friends who are stay at home dads, the toxic things that they face because they're, you know, they're called freeloaders. They have sugar mamas, you know, they don't really work. And I have news for you. Those guys work harder than I ever will when they and stay at home with kids. point out in there that there's this, still this perception and the stigma. Like if you see a guy at the playground, people react to that very differently than if you see a female at the playground. There is this nearly mm-hmm. instantaneous mindset, potential predator, potential predator, and he's not welcomed into the circle. And that, that affects our children, what they see from interactions with men. It affects what our boys think they can grow up to do. And I'll be very honest with you. I, after an incident at a playground where I helped a kid who was stuck uh, way up high on something and then got scared. And, you know, I'm not knocking his mom. His mom was on the phone. She might've been taking a business call. I don't, I don't really, I'm not judging that, but she didn't, she didn't hear and so I went over and tried to help. And all she saw when she looked over was a strange guy, you know, trying to get her kid down. You know, I, I don't do that anymore, which is, which is sad. It's tough because when you look at the statistics, you know, men are at the, you know, they're, they're the most likely to be perpetrators of those kind of crimes. So it's a little bit deserved, but at the same time, it's, it's really unfortunate that no one would think twice about a mo- you know, another mother going exactly. over to help a kid rather, but if a dad does it, or if, or if you know there's a teenage babysitter who's a who's a boy, uh, they're gonna get second looks to they're gonna get you know the side eye also, and that's it's really tough to overcome that. And you know we have to take I think we really have to take steps to do that because it's just it's you can't call for men to be more involved and then cut them out. It, yeah. It's really a, a tough message to send. It's a it's conflicting message to send. So that's a real problem that we got to get a handle on. Well, and part of that too is we want our dads to step up. We want our men to step up. And yet there is the the notion of, you know, oh, dad's taking the kids to the park. Dad is babysitting. Oh yeah. That's a that's oh, a no no yeah. in our in our in our dad blogger world. Uh, dads don't babysit. You know, if it's your kid, you don't babysit. You're exactly. you're parenting. And yeah. that's that's a that's a huge, huge, huge issue. 
One of the things you write about in the book is something that we've talked about before, um, Janet. He goes at length into the fact that often for well-meaning reasons and because of all the stuff we grew up with, moms kind of have a tendency to take over and sort of gatekeep on the parenting. So even though, again, we say we want involved fathers, our actions don't necessarily jive with that. Yeah. yeah, we want them involved if they do it our way. But what I constantly, I mean, we we just repeat, 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 but it's, you know, dad's parent, the way dad's parent, mom's parent, the way mom's parent, and we need both. And both are perfectly normal, fine, good. Early on, you know, 11, 12 years ago, when my oldest was born, I was a newspaper reporter and I, I took on an, an altered shift. So I had every Wednesday off so we could cut down on, on childcare. And my wife was, she was the big wig at Bank of America uh, going to work every day. So I had the bulk of, of caretaking responsibilities. And I just remember sending, you know, uh, sending pictures or someone would say that they saw us out and she was like, did you have the baby in plaids and stripes? And I, just, I said, yeah, I don't care. I don't care what the kid looks like. They're, you know, my, my kid is dressed appropriately for the weather. And that is really all I care about. I am not fashion oriented. And that, mm-hmm. that bothered her for a long time. And it was an issue. So yeah, I mean, there is a lot of that. It's, you know, it's, I want you to be more involved, but I want you to be more involved the way I want you to be involved. Not, you know, not necessarily the way you do. And, and the flip side of that, you know, it's not all mom's faults there. I think women are expected to be super moms and know everything right off the bat. Whereas if a dad walks out and is holding the baby without dropping him, he, you know, he's king of the world. So those kind of lowered expectations versus uh, what we expect of women, that's also a problem. I'm just soaking that in because it's so true. It is so, so true. Like on the one hand, moms and women, we have these super high totally unobtainable expectations that we're supposed to do all of this. And yeah, the dads, if you manage to interact with your child in a safe manner, you are a genius. Yep. That happened in a Walmart when, um, when my oldest was about a week and a half old, uh, you know, she, my wife went to the bathroom and I held the, the baby and people came up to like, people came out of the woodwork. Oh my goodness, look at you. And I, I lapped it up. I was like, yeah, look at me. I'm super dad. I'm amazing. <laughs> and you know, my wife you finally got sick of it. birth to that child a week and a half ago. <laughs> Come on, man. Right. And I was, I was soaking it all in. And my wife said, you know what? No one would ever tell me that I was doing great as a mom just because I was out here holding my kid. And I said, wow, I did not think of that. So yeah, it's, you know, it's those, it's those little things that are revelations when you finally see them. One of the tricky things about parenting is that we can have all these great ideas and especially I'm a writer as well, you know, so I read, I write and I'm like, this is how you do things. And I feel like I figured something out. And then I go upstairs to interact with my actual children and I end up being faced with a circumstance or a challenge that I'm like, I do not know what to do in this situation. How... uh, Give me some examples of a few things that, you know, your kids have challenged you with, uh, situations that, you know, you're like, I don't know what to do right here. One of them was just, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago when Will was 10 or almost 11. You know, I thought it was time to have more conversations about consent 
that's a really important subject that we've tried to talk to them age appropriately for. But, you know, when he got into the fifth grade and started paying attention to girls and girls started paying attention to him, um, I thought it was really time to step it up. And, and I thought I was prepared. So I walked up there, and, you know, I'm talking about how, you know, when boys and girls get and I could tell immediately that I was losing him and that it wasn't landing. And, and I, I, I was struggling and kind of panicking. And I think he was nervous too. So we have, we have two cats. Um, and if you're, you know, anyone who knows me knows that I loathe cats. Um, <laughs> they, they serve no purpose for me other than they bring my children joy, which is why they're here. But he was, he was nervously kind of petting the cat and the cat was kind of desperately trying to get away. So the he, cat was uncomfortable with this conversation as well. It, well, exactly. <laughs> and so it kind of clicked in my head and I went, oh, I said, hey, Will, I said, how, how does the cat look to you right now? He's like, oh, kind of upset. I'm like, yeah. And yet you're holding the cat there against the cat's will. And, and you know, even though he doesn't want to be there, I said, buddy, that's, that's consent. He said, he's clearly sending you a message that he wants to, that he need that he wants to get away. And yet you're holding him there just because it makes you feel better. And like all of a sudden the light bulb went off and, you know, that's the first time a cat's been useful to me ever, but he, you know, that helped with the consent conversation. It, just kind of an epiphany there but you're you're right you never it never goes as planned and so you have to you know I try and I try and find um, lessons from my network you know people who have had these conversations before with older kids and what's you know and and what works for them doesn't always work for you but it gives you an idea and at least you have some some plan to fall back on but I honestly think most of the battle is just having the conversation in the first place and having that conversation repeatedly and over and over again until their eyes roll into the back of their head and they want nothing to do with you because, you know, that's, that's how many conversations mm -hmm. it takes to have these things stick mm -hmm. and it stinks yeah, mm -hmm. and it's hard and it's not fun, but it's so, so very necessary because if you don't, if you don't have these conversations with your kids, someone else is going to, or the internet is going to, which is probably even worse. I want to go in a little different direction because I think this is something that a lot of parents struggle with. And it's it kind of circles back to what we were saying before about, you know, dropping the, um, oh, you hit like a girl. And how do you advise parents who they're, you know, their kids are looking at memes and they're funny, but they're a little bit edgy and sexist, whatever. And, oh, mom, no, it, it was a joke. It's just, it's just for fun. So there's that place where we can step in as parents to say, yeah, and this isn't okay. And here's why. And then we can have all the conversation. But the more challenging place is your son's in fifth grade he hears another boy call somebody gay or somebody a girl. What do you advise parents? What strategies, what words can they give to their kids to confront those situations peer to peer? Because it's really easy to just let it go. And I think even for adults, it's kind of easy to just like, oh, I don't want to confront this person. I'm just going to let it slide. And I think we're past the age of letting things slide. But our kids need strategies. They need words to use in that situation. Yeah. So for me and, and how my kids deal with it, it's really about... Um, having a, a personal connection with what you're saying. So in, in that circumstance where you're talking about something's gay, um, 
you know, and I've heard his friends say it. And after the fact, I'll say, Hey, you know, I, I overheard this and, you know, I overheard, you know, someone saying, Oh, that's gay. And, you know, my son said, well, they, they didn't mean gay, gay. They meant, you know, exactly. bad gay. Yeah. And I said, well, okay, but that's not, you know, I said, the word is the word. And I, and I, I point to my relatives. I said, you know, I said, how would your aunt Melinda feel if she knew that you were okay with saying something was gay, meaning it was bad? I'm like, are you, are you saying that she's bad? He's like, well, no, of course not, you know? And so like that personal connect now, all right, you, now you have a face that you put with it and you have an actual person. So when you say these things, you re, you know, your kids realize that they're hurting this actual person who they love very much. And I found that to be really effective. So whether it's a friend, you know, a gay friend or a gay relative, um, you know, that's a lot more personal than just saying, hey, you know, gay people would be upset. That's, that's kind of an abstract thing. But when mm -hmm. you have, hey, Aunt Melinda's going to be upset with you when you say this, that hits yeah. home a lot more. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. Babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about By Heart baby formula. By Heart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk. And Byheart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula and proved that babies on Byheart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. Byheart is also the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider Byheart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code on boys at byheart.com. That's B-Y-H-E-A-R-T.com slash podcast. And it is 10% off your first order. Byheart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet. But a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin and I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve and I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. And you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no. And they taste good and they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's try, T-R-Y dot easymelts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S dot com forward slash on boys. Yeah. But it's still, I'm, I'm going to push you a little bit because I still want to know what 
that what your son should say, could say to his friend who has said the gay slur? I tell him, I, I tell him to step right in and say, that's not cool. Shouldn't mm-hmm. say that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what he's done. And, and some, you know, I'll be very honest. This is not a, this is not something that's worked every time. And it, it is something that has ended some friendships to be very yeah. honest. You know, my, my son said, you know, it's not okay to say that someone's gay. Don't say that. And, you know, a few, a, a bunch of people say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, and, and they, they've stopped doing it. Other people said, oh, you know, stop, I'm not doing that. And, and my kids don't hang out with those kids anymore, mm-hmm. not by my choosing, but by their own. And, mm-hmm. and that's going to happen. And it's really, it's really hard. I'm not saying that's an easy thing. It's a really hard thing. Uh, and it's a hard lesson to learn so early. And it does lead to potential problems, you know, with, with bullying. And, you know, once that kid turns against you, and if that kid has a lot of friends, um, it can get ugly. And it has gotten ugly. And that's, there's no easy answer for that. I'm not going to pretend that there's a cure-all for anything like that. There isn't, but I just have to keep telling my son that he's on the right side of this and that he'll be better for it in the end, which frankly doesn't really help him a lot right now, but, um, but that's the tack I'm taking. This is one that I still fight with and struggle with in my house. My boys are older than yours. My youngest is now 14 and then uh, 17 and 19 are both still home. And I still routinely will hear from them or a friend who's over, you know, gay, no homo, all the things you write about in your book. And I call them on it every time. And I'm so freaking tired of it. (laughs) And sometimes like sometimes I think they are just doing this to see if I will react, right? Like, maybe, could, should I just ignore it? But I at least want my voice to be the one that they hear in their head, even if they roll their eyes. And yeah. I do have a lot of sympathy. I have a lot of respect for boys, you know, for your son to stand up to friends and say, that's not cool. That is hard to do. It is so hard to do. Yeah. And I think that we need to respect those boys and at the same time, hold space for the boys who aren't ready to speak up, who are mm-hmm. just desperately trying to survive in boy culture, which as you know, from personal experience and now watching your sons come through, it's brutal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still, I still remember, you know, listening to one of my favorite groups was boys to men when I was, uh, when I was growing up and I can't tell you how much trouble that caused me. Like, it sounds stupid now, but it's completely true. I was the gayest kid alive for liking boys to men when I was 11, 12 years old. And, you know, never mind that they have tight harmonies, right? Like <laughs> I was, I was a singer, you know, my grandmother was in the, was in Tanglewood in the Boston pops. So she was a professional singer and musician and I loved it. I wasn't going to back down from that, but it's, it still, it didn't help me. It made my life miserable. Yes. And and I know that my son, even though he does, you know, I know that I've seen him stand up to people about that. But I also know that there are times when he doesn't because he's also trying to fit in and I can't make him do it every time. I, I, I can't. It's not feasible or realistic, but mm-hmm. um, I do hope that when push comes to shove, you know, he's going to step in and defend people and, and call out what's wrong and stand up for what's right most of the time. And that's that's all I can ask, you know, and it's it's so hard. Mm-hmm. And and I hope, and I know Janet does as well, that this will get easier because you're one family doing it and I'm one family trying to do it. So as there are more and more and more of us, 
you know, hopefully the culture will start shifting. But right now we are all very much in this moment of transition and, you know, we're trying to figure it out and survive. And so are our boys. Exactly. Exactly. Right on. You went viral um, a couple years ago. You wrote about the fact that your son, Sam, who was then a kindergartner. Now, parents, think about this. He was a kindergartner. So he's like five. Maybe he hit six. Yeah, he was five. Five years old. He got bullied at school for wearing nail polish. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I understand, as so do you and everybody listening, like, historically, here in America, that has been women wear it. But literally, it's a five-year-old with paint on a non-essential part of the body. Talk about that experience, what happened to him, how that affected him, and how that affected you and led to this book, ultimately. Yeah, that, that was a that was a crazy time. It was October 2018. And, you know, he was five, but really he had been wearing nail polish for, um, you know, maybe a year and a half, two years. And, and that's because my my mom, his grandmother uh, was a manicurist. My mom paints, you know, my kids nails and, and that was never a problem. Honestly, we, we did it from the time he was, you know, maybe three, and he went to preschool, never a problem, never an issue, never a word but he did it at kindergarten and it was a completely different story. He got there and he was, you know, there was one kid who stood up for him, one kid. The rest of them said, boys don't wear nail polish. What are you doing? You need to take it off. That's not right. Don't do that. We teach our kids, unless they're in danger, you know, physical danger, try and talk your problems out, which he did. He tried to talk it out all day to no avail. And when my wife picked him up at school, he just, he fell apart. He was inconsolable to the point where she had to call me at work because she couldn't get out of him what was wrong. And so, you know, finally we figured out that it was about his nails and it was really sad. You know, we, we came home and, and I came home from work that night and I asked him, you know, how are you feeling? And he said he wanted to take off the nail polish. And I said, all right, well, do, do you really want to take it off because you don't want to wear it? Or do you just not want to be made fun of? And he said, no, I love the nail polish. I just don't want to be made fun of. Hmm. So I said, all right, buddy. I said, how about you keep it on overnight? And in the morning, if you still feel that way, then you know we can take it off. But I don't want you to stop doing something that you really like just because of other people. And that night, I was really mad. And I, I put together a Twitter thread. Um, and I, right before I went to bed, I hit send on it. And it was all about how, you know, this, that kind of behavior, five and six year olds, they don't just know that it's learned. It's learned from their parents and their friends and the media and, and the messages that they get. And I think that's so unfortunate. When I woke up in the morning, I thought my phone was malfunctioning. I mean, it looked like a slot machine. And I realized what was happening, you know, before the sun even came up, it, it was just nuts. The numbers on this thing. And, you know, before I had even left for work, People Magazine was calling. And then Jeez. that led to, you know, The Guardian and Mashable and eventually The Today Show. And I mean, just every outlet you can imagine wanted to write about this. And it was completely overwhelming. But the, the great part of it was having all these people, you know, we had parents of, of boys who were sending in pictures of their boys wearing nail polish. We had men sending pictures who he's saying, I've painted my nails for years. And then we had men who said, you know, I don't paint my nails, but I'm doing it for you, Sam. And we had whole offices painting oh. their nails and oh, celebrities were responding. Wow. Rob Gronkowski, who was then on the Patriots and Sam's favorite player, 
he sent a video to Sam. I mean, it was, it was really amazing what happened and, and seeing all those people supporting him. That's what made the difference. And he kept his nails painted. Um, and you know, you write in the book, um, that was the overwhelming take home. It was in net. It was an extremely positive experience. But I feel like we need to acknowledge that like, <laughs> there was also really terrible things because you were getting messages basically saying that you are a terrible father and unfit and you're ruining your child. And 2018, it's 2020 now, but that, that is all still there. Oh, yeah. I was, I was front and center on the Daily Stormer, which is an actual literal neo-Nazi website. Um, I think the headline was something like, you know, cuck sends son to kindergarten with nail polish on. And I mean, it was my, wow. you know, my wife, I, I'm not afraid to say my wife wanted to pull the whole plug when she saw, you know, her husband and her son on a Nazi website. Well, yeah. 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 And, and I don't, I don't blame her, but you know, also, you know, there, everyone's you know, said I was abusive um, that, you know, and they, they, they were going to call department of child and family services um, all that, all that crappy stuff. Just, and that's how threatening this is to people though. And that's, that's how threatening it is. We're, again, we're literally talking about a little bit of color on mm -hmm. a non-essential part of the body that yep. is temporary because the nails grow. <laughs> like, yeah. And they, you know, they say, oh, you just want, you, you're pushing your kid to be gay. You're pushing your kids to be trans. And it's like wearing nail polish, first of all, doesn't make you gay. doesn't make you trans. I said, if, if Sam, you know, goes down that road someday, if, if that's what he decides, then okay, I don't care. But it's certainly not pushing him one way or the other. He's a five-year-old and these are bright colors. That's what that's about. If you want to, you know, if you really yeah. want to know, he that's likes it. bright colors on his nails because it looks cool. And it does. It looks, it looks awesome. And so, you know, that, that's, that's how that all came about. And one of the calls I got was from my publisher who, um, you know, asked me to write a book, which has been my dream. So that, that was a really great thing that came out of it. And, uh, but yeah, what a, what a, what a weird ride that was thinking mm -hmm. you, you could toil all these years, pouring your heart out about parenting on the internet. And then one day, <laughs> one day your kid paints his nails and you're on the today show. I mean, it's so arbitrary. Wow. Yeah. I want to, um, I, as we wrap up, I, I do not want to miss talking about single moms raising boys. What do you have to say to single moms raising boys? And I hear a lot of single moms longing for male role models for their sons and not having them. And, and, you know, now we're in a pandemic and we can't even socialize. So, so what about those moms who are striving to raise non-toxic males, yet there's not the role models there. There's not that dad to say, Hey, you know, this is, this is good. This is not good. What would you say to those single moms? Hmm, that's a good question. Have, not having had any experience with single moms, I mean, I think, I think any kind of mentor is good, whether it's, you know, big brother uh, kind of thing. I think that that can be really important. I know, you know, even though I'm not religious, I know a lot of people do, um, you know, a lot of people turn to the church and I live across the street from a reverend who, you know, fills that role for, for many boys and, and does it really, really well. Um, but I think, you know, honestly, in, in my experience, hang, uh, you know, having lots of friends with, who were raised by single moms, 
those, for whatever reason, those friends tend to be probably more accepting and more tolerant and more, you know, just kind of generally open to things than anyone else. I, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist or I'm, and I'm, I'm not a professional. I, I don't know why that is, but the parents of single moms seem to be much more open to, to all this stuff than anyone else. I want to oh, go God. there for a moment because having been a married mom, having been a single mom for a while, and uh, I know this is true for so many moms, I think it is a lot easier to raise a son who isn't overly influenced by what we're calling toxic masculinity alone than with a father who subscribes to this toxic masculinity. And yeah. I don't mean this as a hit. Dads who are listening, I don't mean this as a hit, but you know, so many of our moms see often before the dads do things like it's not a big deal if he wears nail polish, right? So my question to you is, let's say we've got listeners who they're like, yeah, yeah, okay, Aaron, I'm with you. I'm with you, but um, his dad's not there yet. So, you know, and, and I, I resemble that comment for, at least I did for so long. Um, what changed for me? Honestly, it was a combination of, you know, my wife being fantastic and never failing to tell me when I was being an idiot. But even more than that, it was, you know, I live in Massachusetts. It's, it's, a, it's a progressive blue state, but I live in an area where there is not much diversity of anything. So, you know, it wasn't until after college, you know, really college and, the, and when the internet exploded, that's when I was able to, because, you know, no one looked or acted differently from me right in my proximity. Mm -hmm. But the, inter the internet allowed me to find people from all different backgrounds who don't look like me at all. And listening to them and their experiences, that probably had the most profound impact on me. And the, it probably led to me changing my views on things a lot more like, you know, even with white privilege, oh, did I scoff at white privilege? You know, someone telling me I was privileged just be that really, you know, years and years ago when I heard that it, it went, it stuck in my craw. And then, you know, I became friends with all these black dads on, on Twitter or on Facebook and, and Twitter and social media. And I did things like listen to them describe the talks that they had to have with their kids mm -hmm. about things like how they'll be seen in the world or how to deal with getting pulled over so that they don't die. And uh, that one, especially, I, I just said, Oh my goodness. I never in my life have feared that I would not get out of a traffic stop alive because I don't have to, you know, and, and that really drove home the, the privilege argument for me. They it's, it's a reality that they have to face. You know, black dads always describe having the talk with their kids. And so hearing things like that, from a perspective that I just could never, ever possibly have. That's what, that's what made me turn the corner, you know, exposure to diversity of people and actually listening to their stories instead of just listening to them so that I can refute whatever they're going to say, listen to them, sit with what they say and have the courage to be really uncomfortable with that. And to know that, yeah, you know, you might be, you, you might be part of the problem here you might have contributed to this. 
And from that moment on, it's what you do after you know better that matters. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know better, that's fine. It's not great. But when you know better and then you decide to take action or not, that's what's going to define you. I love that. Parenting gives you lots of do-overs, lots of opportunities. I guarantee I haven't known you longer than a few minutes, but I know you haven't done everything right. I'm going to screw up today multiple times, but on the whole, I I think that my boys are going to turn out to be good men. You do better when you know better. You learn better. I loved what you said a bit ago. You sit and listen to what they say and sit with it, not to refute, but to listen to it. And I think that applies to parenting our boys too. We need to also listen to them. Yeah. And, and that's, that's huge, especially for someone as opinionated and, and argumentative as I am. It was, <laughs> it was very, very tough to just sit and listen, but that's what's necessary if you want to learn. And I probably fail at that more often than not, but I've stopped and listened enough to you know, to know that changing my mind and changing my stances on things is no longer a weakness. You know, that's, that's strength. And when you, when you have that shift in perspective, that's when you can really start to, to pick up some ground. You've got a website and a blog. Uh, if people read your book, they want to know more, they want to be engaged in conversation, where can they go to find you? It's daddyfiles.com. And you can, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram it's, or Facebook. It's all at Daddy Files. It's really an intersection of politics and parenting for me. It's kind of a mix of personal and, um, you know, current events. And then, yeah, you can, um, you know, the, the book you can get from Amazon or you can go to IndieBound and try and uh, get it from your local bookstore. But it's raising boys to be good men. And I hope, um, you know, I hope people give it a give it a chance. It's, it's easy to roll your eyes at it. And I believe me, I did, but I'm really hoping that people uh, take a chance on it and maybe have a change of heart. Aaron, I feel like you and I need to uh, touch base again in about 10 years and go, well, how'd we do? (laughs) Right. It's It's scary. It scares me to death, but you can only hope that you're doing enough. And I, I hope that I am. I'm going to take a stand for you and you are, you are. <laughs> thank uh, you. Thank you so much for speaking to this very important topic with such heart and clarity. Thanks for oh, joining thank us. Thank you for having me and continuing the conversation. That's half the battle and it's, it's not easy, but it's worth it. Thanks for joining us. We are Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison. And we are here to support you in parenting and teaching tomorrow's men. Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby. 
Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details.